Hi, I'm Kay Crudson, and you're listening to Cradle, the podcast. In this podcast, we'll be hearing some incredibly brave stories as we explore different issues and topics surrounding baby loss. We'll hear from some healthcare professionals just what's being done to best support those that need it. From family and friends, how are they affected? And we'll hear from you, your story. Because together, you're not alone. We're probably going to cry, but I do hope there's going to be laughter. And more importantly, there will be support. This is Cradle the Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Cradle the Podcast. I am honoured that you have joined us wherever you are listening to your podcast. Thank you. And thank you for liking and sharing. It really does mean a lot. In this week's episode, I'm so happy to be joined with an incredible woman. She not only is one of Cradle's ambassadors, she is an advanced clinical practitioner, which we'll find out a little bit more about because I'm not from the nursing world. So to me, that's a very good title, but I don't know too much about it. What I can take from it is that she is a caring person in our healthcare industry. And a little bit extra about this lady. I think we're going to find out a bit more as we go along. But get this. She basically hangs out with Bieber and Pink and all the stars. I mean, come on. This is an A-less celebrity on this week's episode of Cradle the Podcast. I am honoured to be joined by Belinda Champion. Belinda, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Kay, for inviting me. What an accolade and introduction. <laughs> and, and is Bieber in the next bedroom? Well, I wish he was. Between now. <laughs> Between, right, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, Belinda, first of all, you are one of Cradle's advanced clinical practitioners. Just explain to us what that means. So, okay, I'm a lead nurse for a cross site early pregnancy service, and my role involves caring for women and their partners up to 16 weeks. I lead and manage a team of formidable and amazing nurses, and I love what I do with an absolute passion. And I see them through their entire journey from start to finish. So very similar to my medical colleagues. And I think that's where the role stems from, really. So day to day, are you in the early, for example, where I am, I've got the Jasmine suite, the early pregnancy unit. That's where you are from day to day. Yeah, so I'm based in the early pregnancy unit on both sites. So I cross site work with both of my teams. And that's and that's where I love to be in doing the do. And that's what I do. And I lead by example and I lead my team to care for these women and their couples at their most vulnerable time of their life. I'm a nurse stenographer, so I scan. So I see them right through to their journey. So just to give you an idea on a day to day basis, Kay, so we triage our women over the phone to come into our service. I will then see them. I will scan them and at that moment, is a miscarriage on scan. Then I will cancel the couple through their pregnancy loss. So be it a miscarriage or an topic pregnancy or an abnormal type of pregnancy loss, like a molar pregnancy. And then I manage their whole care in that one journey. And that is the reward that I have as part of my role. How I'm trying to keep it together because I have been on 
on the receiving end of care, sadly not your care, because just listening to your voice alone is enough to know that you you care. But I've been on I've been one of those people. I'm gonna be brutally honest with you. I, I've said from at times, I just felt like yet another person on a conveyor belt of people that had had a miscarriage and was shunted off into into theatre to to have the operation. Let me be very clear. I had some incredible nurses who looked after me and at the times that I felt like that were in my darkest moments when possibly even the right thing that I could have heard wouldn't wouldn't have come through to me. And I was not under your care either. You're on the other side of it. How do you do that job? How do you do that job? How? Because you are seeing a lot of sad people, a lot of grieving people, a lot of people in a state of complete out-of-body experience. And that's got to take a strong person. So how do you do it? Okay, I feel so privileged in my role and I've been doing this now for nearly 26 years and I'm still as passionate from the first day that I set foot into nursing and I'm so thankful that I feel like that still because it's been hard and certainly if the pandemic hasn't taught us that then I don't know what will but for me as I said I feel very privileged women and their and their partners because let's not forget their partners they're part of this journey too which is very important and I always emphasize that their vulnerability they are so vulnerable at that moment and they need to be held. They need to be listened to. They need to have empathy and compassion and kindness in that moment. And that's what I believe I give and I will continue to give. And that's what I believe in. Those are my core values as a nurse and as an individual, as a person. And I think they're very, very important to have. And those women, seeing them coming back, and they've had a loss. They've then gone on to have an ongoing pregnancy. And they always make a point of coming back and telling me about their journey. And that's where I feel the reward. My, my patients and, and how they are with me and how they stay in contact with me. That's my thank you. I don't need the claps. I'm just going to put it out there. For me, my patients are what gives me that that drive, that passion to do what I do. Um, so when you told me, from? where did it come from? Because I know you got into nursing, but quite, quite young, really, weren't you? Yeah, so I, I went into nursing when I finished my A-level. So when I was 24, I qualified then at that stage and went into nursing. I've always loved being around people, talking to people. They seem to gravitate to me. I feel that I've always been a good listener um, with a big elephant ears and, you know, and I, and I love that. I love that people can come to me and especially my women, like I said, and their partners in their, in their most vulnerable hour of need, I'm there for them. And for me, that is a reward that I've always held throughout my entire nursing. Well, that's huge though, isn't it? Because even the best of people can say, I hope I'm there for someone or I hope, I, I hope that, you know, you can come to me and I'm, I'm always here. I'll always listen. But you you can tell in your voice how passionate you are about strangers that are going through hideous times, 
horrific times. If there was one of you in every hospital, there'd be so many less women turning around and saying, I just wish I had someone that just got it. So how do you get it? I do get it. And I think just just being there. And I think the important thing is is listening, not trying to sort of jump in and assume that you know. And I think it's really important that you you hold that space for for the woman and their partner. As I said, it's a very vulnerable time. It's a very anxious time. It's the most devastating time of their lives. They feel that our whole life is shattered before them when we break that news to them. And you need to give them that space, that time, that kindness, that that compassion, that care is what they what they need. And I don't think we can ever underestimate that. And I don't think that you're in the right job if you if you're not like that. To be perfectly honest, you know, for me. That, that's a reward. That's why I do. That's why I do the job that I do. And hearing you when you said, you know, you felt like a conveyor belt. My my hairs were standing on end as soon as you said that. I thought, I'm so sorry that you went through that experience. You should never have experienced that. I never felt like that. And I would never want any woman and their partner to feel like that. And it reminded me during the pandemic, just the vulnerability of women. They were calling in to my team and myself at their most vulnerable time. They were miscarrying Kay at home and they were so frightened to come into hospital. When they would come into hospital, they were on their own because we, we weren't allowed partners in. And then we're in our full gear. And there was never a moment where I didn't, because I'm a very tactile person. I know not everyone is. But I just reached out. And I offered a hug, I offered a hand. And that was during the pandemic. I thought, there's no way that I can allow you just to sit there and I could never feel like I'm a robot and and I don't have any feelings because I wouldn't be true to myself and and the job that I did and that I do and that I continue to do. God, uh, we lost our third baby. We were down south, not near your hospital, during the pandemic. and. Jim couldn't even come in the car park, had to be dropped off on the main road. And not one person offered me a hand or anything. Nothing. I mean, there were times in the pandemic that you really did feel alone and then there was that. And I thought, all I need is someone to just just sit at the end of my bed just do you know what just talk to me thankfully I was popped on a ward that it wasn't which is a vast difference to the time before but it was it wasn't on a maternity ward it was just in a generic ward and there was a an old lady opposite me who just wanted to chat to anyone so best mates for the 10 hours that I was in that hospital for but at not at no point did anyone? I felt like no one even looked at me in the eyes. Like, so to hear that, you will have changed so many people's experience of what they were going through in that minute just with a hand. Because when you're that alone, you just think, what is the point? So I'm grateful for all the women that sadly did go through that during a really shitty time to have you there 
What difference does Cradle make in a hospital environment? I think I was so thankful to find Cradle. That was back sort of August, taking me back now, August sort of 2020, I reached out in the first beginnings of the pandemic because I realised that there was such a huge gap with women being able to access like bereavement support, especially within the hospital. And I reached out to Cradle because I really felt that their core values, especially just being inclusive of all pregnancy loss, just that whole phase, it really struck me. It struck a chord inside me that thought, I love this. This is what my women and their partners need, that every bloody pregnancy matters. Let's put it out there because it does. And it doesn't matter, you know, how big or small. It, it's a huge loss. Every pregnancy loss matters. And just hearing those words, it just really echoed something inside me that said, I need cradle. And I need Cradle to be here for, for my women and their partners. Cross site as well. You know, we, we were a big trust and we have two early pregnancy services where there was a huge need. And the pandemic really put a spotlight on that for me, especially. And when I got in touch with Louise straight away, we, you know, we just hit it off. And I said, you know, I really want I really want to launch Cradle at a hospital you know, can you help me? And that was it. Well, just remind us what hospitals you're at. So Lewisham and Greenwich. Lewisham and Greenwich. NHS Trust, yeah. And it was it was incredible. And, you know, we, we, we launched and it was amazing. And just, and also it was the little things that, that really mattered for, for my women and they were big things for them. So they made a huge difference. So the, the cradle bags that we started when we launched, they had such a positive um, feedback from all the women and their partners when they were admitted, when they had post-methotrexate treatment for ectopic pregnancies, they were given a cradle bag. At every opportunity that I could seize across the trust where a woman walked that journey, I said, right, we need, we need to put a cradle bag there because we need to signpost these women. They need to know that in that little bag is tender, loving care. And that's how I see them. So every time I give them a little bag, I spend the time going through, and my team do, spending going through what it means. It's not just a bag, but it's signposting them to the support that they need, that Cradle offer. And I'm hugely thankful that I found Cradle and, and for my women as well to be able to access that bereavement care, which, let's face it, it's so completely underfunded in this country. We need to do a lot more to fund it. And it's huge. And we know that it's getting the press. But it needs to be on the top priority agenda in terms of funding because it's so underfunded and resourced. So that's Cradle looking after after the women, after the partners. Who's looking after the Belinders? That's a good question. I know that my Cradle family are looking after me and my I have I have a great team. I really do, as I said. And we all support each other and we always find time to debrief when we've had a really tough day you know very often or not you know daily we are experiencing loss and bereavement and you know we do have to fill our cup up too to have to be able to care for others as we know in our life and caring for our family it's the same with our profession and nursing and I don't think we're always that good at it if I'm honest and sometimes we have to really look harder to find that support, I certainly know that I have in terms of 
sort of supervision. But I do know that they're really looking into that a lot more now and supporting those that are supporting families that are supporting bereaved families. And I and I think that that's key because we need to be able to keep going. We need to be able to keep giving that support, that, that very much support that's needed for those families that are bereaved. And sadly, it, it is, you know, it's one in four. So your days, I suspect, are not quiet. I suspect you are seeing quite a lot of bereaved families. And having that passion and drive to carry on, all while smiling at the right time, that can't be easy. It's never an easy job, but it's a rewarding job. And as I said, that's what drives me and that's what keeps me passionate about doing what I do. And my my women and their partners, I, I do it for them and that's what I love about my job. It's tough, it is hard, but it's such a privilege. Can we talk about your loss? I've watched your interview with a lady who I can't remember her name, but it was in like... Ruth Akashenkli. Yes. Oh gosh. And when she started, when we were just talking, it was just like a conversation and then what came out of that, which I wasn't expecting me to say about, was my brother who died a week before my nursing course. Oh, wow. And that, yeah. that was something that really stuck out for me. And it just, it just came to me and I said it. Yeah, yeah. It was part of my journey. It was part of me being a nurse. And well, it was part the of the reason. Yeah, yeah, about why you wanted to go in. I'm totally putting things into your mouth, but I assume that's part of the reason why you wanted to go into a caring profession to help. Yeah. Yeah. And end of just as as bit background, it's obviously difficult to talk about, but end of July, I, you know, I lost my dad and he was the closest I person in my that, life. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's been a journey. <laughs> How does that shape, I almost said the nurse that you are, but the, the, the woman that you are? I think I'm a different version of before I had the loss and I lost my dad recently. That was a huge loss for me. And he was a huge part of my life. And I need to find ways to move forward with that. But I know that I also need to be kind and gentle to myself. And to do the job that I'm doing, I needed to take some time out, which I did, to allow that space that I needed to hold for the women and their partners in my care. And I know that my dad is looking down at me and he is proud. And he has always been proud of me and he always will be. And how are you feeling today? I'm, I'm having good and bad days. Sometimes it's just really shit. And other days I'm holding on to the beautiful memories that I have of my dad. And, you know, and the beauty of the relationship that he's had with my children and, and my husband and those things really keep me going. What was he like? My dad was a cheeky chappy. <laughs> he was very stubborn and he, he's a Scorpio like me, so we're very similar in a lot of ways. But he was always driven and he was always passionate about things in life and he loved a good walk. We walked for hours, Kay. I mean, I'm a good walker. <laughs> I do run occasionally <laughs> now but you know it's walking we went for long walks we we lived in central London I grew up in central London so we always used to walk on the south bank 
along the river near the London Eye Royal Festival Hall. That was my big play, my childhood playground. And that's where I spent a lot of my life. And those were happy days. Those were happy, happy times where I can just take myself off to them and think of all those good times. And do you think you get your your caring, nurturing, empathetic ways from him? He was always a good listener, always very patient and very kind. And he was all he'd he'd talk to anybody just like I I do. So I do think a lot of that's rubbed off on me, which I'm very thankful for. I'm really sorry that he's passed, but I hope that you're okay. And yeah. there's no real words for shitness, is there? No, there isn't. Absolutely not. You just you just never prepare for it. And then when it no. happens, like you say, it's just proper shit. And yeah. That's what you can do about it. You just gotta no. try and move move forward with it. And that's the hardest part really. Yeah. Learning and I guess that's the the, the whole concept of of cradle is moving forward as a new version you'll you'll never be the you no. you were. But you've got to find a new you that you are okay with. I think what so what I was most worried about is when I went back to work, Colin, my brother night bereavement leave and I was off sick. Yeah. And when he was dying, is my first thought came to my mind was I deal with loss and bereavement every day, okay? And how can I find that strength to hold space for my women and their partners, which is why I took the time off that I needed. So yeah, I thought yeah. I need to come back into this and I need to get into this again. Yeah. And how would I feel? And the minute that it happened and I cancelled a couple through their loss and I was there for them in that moment, I knew I was okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so important to do that, to have that time. Yeah. Because you don't know how you're going to be. And you might not have been able to do that again. You you know, you wouldn't have known. I know when I'd lost our our third, I just started the connected and then I was like oh yeah I'll come back next week and Lou's like oh don't think you should and I'm like oh no I'll be there next week it's fine and and then after about two days then I, then I lost the plot and you just think oh no I'm never ever going to be able to do that again I haven't actually to be fair and that's been a year but you, you you don't know do you until you're in it or what that version of you is going to be like what to you Moving forward, you know, the sad statistics are that it is one in four women miscarry, over 2,000 babies are born sleeping. What does the future look like? What would you like the future to look like moving forward? I would like to see a lot more funding. I think we talked about it, but a lot more funding and resource needs to go into that bereavement care. We know that a good nearly 58% of women are going through PTSD. The effects on mental health are catastrophic and we can't ignore it. Increasing access to care for, you know, our our ethnic minority groups, again, we can't ignore that either. You know, we, we need to, to look and we need to listen and we need to act on that as well. And I think a lot of that needs to be poured into the research that's taking place. We need to really fund the research. We need to offer earlier intervention of investigations and tests. How cool is it to say we can't investigate until three? Why? Um, I know there'll be people listening, saying, shouting now, saying, yes, absolutely. Dear God, why? Why is that? 
Well, well, why is that? To, yeah, absolutely. And, and I wholeheartedly agree. Why do they have to then turn to the private sector to have all of the tests that they need when we really should be offering it to all women and their partners? And does that come down to funding, to it budgets? Does. Yeah. I mean, I can tell by you, you'd change that in an instant. It, and you must want to bang your head against a wall and say, yes, I get it, I know, but you are not in charge of the budget. But it's shit, that, isn't it? It really is. And it's not fair. I literally know a couple who have, have had their second and they said to me, we are having a third knowing we're going to lose it so then we can get looked into. And I'm like, man, that is unthinkable, unimaginable. How, how, how? I don't get how people are able to to do it again. I do because I've been there and I've done it again. And it's the it's the it's the overwhelming desire that you can't that you can't not continue, not carry on. But I wonder if that would ever change. I believe that it will because we will keep fighting for it. And collectively, I think that's the only way is that we just keep fighting it. We keep raising awareness and giving women the voice that they need to really say, this is not okay. And, you know, we really need to pour that resource. And yes, it does come down to money, but we need to fund it. And we need to fund the support. You know, it's a whole journey, you know, and those journeys are all very different with the outcome of a loss of a pregnancy along the way. And that just really needs to be funded and supported in the right way. Just going back to you comment on funding for support for bereavement, you know, women that are going through PTSD or just getting through the loss of a baby. Speaking personally, I had both our babies. I chose the operation, the EPRC. Is that what it is? EPRC. Say so surgical management of miscarriage. Yeah. Because women, women complained about the term so that thankfully the terminology was isn't hopefully not used that you know very much because they did change it but we say surgical management of miscarriage now right yeah because it was a dnc eprc and then it went to rpc right okay good yeah yeah that was pretty bad because i chose to have that done because it i felt like by doing that then i was passing the blame onto the doctor so he was taking away our babies. I was not, you know, it, I, it wasn't my fault. What he didn't take away is everything that was in my head, which developed the minute that I saw the line turn positive. And that is the problem, isn't it? The connection that is made from day dot, the intensity of that connection not that that intensity is, I can't compare it to what Jim felt. He was definitely connected, but somehow even more because I was carrying both. And no one could just turn that off or take that away. So when I woke up after surgery, oh, it's still there. And that is where counselling comes into play where support comes into play, therapy. But not everyone is in a position to be able to say, I need that or I want that or I understand what's happening and I need to talk about it. 
how do you help women that first time mums that have gone through baby loss or even those sadly that have had multiple miscarriages but still don't see talking about it as as the way forward how how do you best support them i think that's where i found cradle to be an immense support cave because for me as i said just going back to what i was saying there they're really inclusive of all pregnancy loss and it all matters. And not everyone navigates social media. So that's difficult. That's a difficult hurdle to start with in, in accessing those support groups that are very much online. But signposting the support, I know that there have been many times where I've contacted Louise directly about couples that have been struggling. And I know that they've found it really difficult to navigate the social media platforms so there are ways. We just need to be creative in how we approach it. But I believe that that's where we really need to be looking at making that care more accessible to all women and their partners. And that's true what you say as well, that it is partners are just as much in need. And sometimes actually I've chatted, I do, I do a lot of one-to-one calls. So I'll have, my phone's always open by the way. I'll have a chat with anyone at any time. I'm not a counsellor. I just get it. I've been there. I'm still there and I'm totally here if you want to have a chat about it. I had a chat with a chap last week. His fiance didn't want to talk, but he did. And we all grieve differently, don't we? Although we grieve differently, we needed to find a way in, to bring that grief together somehow. And I guess that's in any way which you can. And I guess that also ties in with what you've been going through with the loss of your dad, that you're grieving children are grieving or the members of your family are grieving and you all grieve differently but you do have to come together for the one thing that you are grieving about. I think there's a lot of comfort in that when you do come together to talk about it together because you're all going through although you're going through different and individual journeys you're coming together for the same reason because you are grieving the loss of that person or of that baby and that's why it's so important that the family as a unit are not forgotten we have grandparents that that grieve for the loss of the pregnancy as well but we're not really talking about that either yeah it's true i want to touch about touch upon language in the hospital environment and just get your thoughts on it so many conversations about language that's used within hospitals either said to me directly or to, to other people and what do you say to someone that says to you, why Why did someone turn around to me and say, oh, here's one. Here's one that's not even negative. When I'd had Ava, the nurse said to me, see, your body does know what it's doing. You'll have no problems moving forward. Now that, at the time, was a flippant, she knew my notes. She knew that I'd had a, a, we'd lost Reg before Ava. It was a nice thing to say, and I clung on to that. But because she'd said that, when I got pregnant again, I literally said, well, it's fine because she said that, so there's not going to be an issue, which I know is ridiculous. But I put all my hope on her words, and then we lost that little baby. What is said in those moments has a profound effect. On, on what how that person thinks acts. You know, you can you can hear the one tiny thing, and it can it can really have 
a negative or positive impact. So why? I know that you wouldn't say certain things that I've heard people say. So why? How can we make everyone in the medical profession be more Belinda? I think it's really important to educate all healthcare professionals and not just those that work within my field like we have staff that have losses that I've cared for across all walks of the profession and the NHS the private sector in life but I do strongly believe that getting it right first time is very important the language that we use is very important as you say you women cling on to to every word and giving false hope is also not good. And that whole use of language and how it's used can have a far-reaching impact. And I think by educating people and having a lot more training, and again, that's where coming back to Cradle comes in and providing that training and support that's very much needed. You know, they will come in. Louise will talk about her journey when she comes in. She's been on many training sessions that I've invited her in, sometimes at short notice. But she'll come in and she'll talk about her journey. The patient experience and voice is the most powerful in the room. We as healthcare professionals can care for those women and their partners. But having that, that voice, I think is really important. And talking about how not to do things is also really important as well. And it's only by learning them and teaching that that we're able to positively impact and really help support that sort of training in all areas across the NHS. Because it can only take a co- the odd thing, can't it? Right, Absolutely. positive or negative. Yeah. Which I guess you, from your experience of being a sonographer, you know, never, I, I imagine, has there ever been a job that's more, at times, horrific. I've been in that position where the sonographers told me, I can't imagine being the sonographer. It's taken me a long time to be able to say that because I, I think I held a lot of a blame around the sonographer and, and the way the news was delivered. But moving away from that, putting myself in her shoes, that is a hard place to be. In an instant, it's seconds. Your, your face and your nonverbal cues, so your eyes, mask or no mask, We'll give the game away. And it's really important in those seconds, we, we have to gather ourselves emotionally as well, because you know instantly almost that you are about to break news. And it's the most devastating news that that woman and her partner are going to hear. And that's why it's so important. And there's now a lot of papers written on it, that the language that we use and what we say is vitally important in those moments. And for some people, it can feel very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk openly and talk about dying and death. I think there is still that taboo to talk about it, to feel at ease to say it. It never gets easy to break bad news, but sometimes... The kindness of delivering that news means that you do need to be direct in a kind and compassionate way because you can lead someone to think, oh, you've lost it, you you haven't found it, you can't find it. And I think that's really misleading and that is providing that false hope which 
leads to that anxiety and that unnecessary hurt and pain that that woman and their partner is going to suffer. So it's really important that we do get it right. I've never thought about it like that. Do need to be clear. There isn't a grey area here. That is a hard job. How do you deal with, when you're faced with a couple, what you're saying is creating, is having that impact on them? I think it's huge. And I think you're, you're in that moment and you're holding space. You're not thinking about yourself and your emotions and how that you just, you just know that you need to hold that space for them. And you need to give them time. There's been so many different reactions. We're, we're all individual and that's what, you know, what makes us us. And grief can have a profound effect. And sometimes it can just shock us into not having an immediate response either. And I've had that. And I think that that sometimes is very difficult when you feel that they're really, it, they, it hasn't landed for that person. You can see they're, they're so shocked in the delivery of that news, they don't know what to do with themselves. And I think it, again, it's that, it's that time, that space that they don't feel that they're, they're being rushed in that moment and that you're, you're there for them and that they take their time and that you care, but that you're deeply sorry that you're having to give them that news but also it's a balance of not overwhelming them either. And I think that's always very difficult because it's very individual. And then what? sometimes it can profoundly affect you. And, you know, sometimes things have really hit me so hard. And then after, you know, I've seen them or we speak to our team and we debrief, just have a good cry. Because it's so terribly sad what's happened. And we're human and we feel it too. I'm going to go back to who's looking after Belinda. You are only human. There's only so much any human can take. And you do. You've got to get it out. You have to release it, don't you? To me, miscarriage and baby loss, is, is it is still a taboo subject. Is that something you'd agree with? Absolutely. I think that we, we don't talk about it enough. We don't normalise those conversations as much as we should do. Why? I think there's a lot of fear surrounding it a lot of judgment that I think there's a big perception that people will just judge you or or just dismiss your feelings oh you're not talking about that again are you you know I have a lot of women that, that feel that and I just find that really sad and we should be able to normalize those conversations and certainly in the workplace you know as I said there's so many let alone my, my women and partners that I care for but there's staff that have had loss as well and they're carrying on doing their jobs day to day but they need care too, because to do their job, we need to acknowledge that they've had loss very often or not. I find myself in front of the woman and their partner and I'm telling them saying, take that hat off, take your doctor hat off, take your physio hat off. You are the woman that is grieving for the loss of your baby. That's who you are right now. And they don't think of it that way. And sometimes it's, you've got to remind people that actually Oh, oh, they're rushing back to, oh, no, I need to get to work now. They're in autopilot. No, you don't. You just had the most devastating news. Regardless whether you're virtually working or you're in the office working, you need to take time off. Take time. Process what I've said. And I think it's really difficult. 
in those moments. But sometimes I think you do need to be prescriptive sometimes with people because you don't know what the hell they're doing in those moments. And we just need to be a lot, need to do a lot more of that. We need to do a lot of more support, a lot of more care and kindness, which I think is really important in any role that we have, but more so in pregnancy loss. We need to talk about it. And women's, you know, getting women's stories out there, like you're doing, Kay, with the podcast, reaching those women and partners, far-reaching, wherever they are, they need to hear that, that we care, that we care about them, we care about their loss, that we acknowledge their loss, and that we're here to help them. 100%. And they're not alone. You're so not alone. It's funny that when you're in, the, in that moment, I firmly believed that I was no one else in the world had ever experienced pain. I, and I can remember this sort of loud animal scream. And I was at my mum and dad's house because he was in America. I thought, what the hell is that noise? And then lo and behold, it was me. I thought, no one, not no one can ever know what this is like. Having come from a family where, you know, in my immediate family, there's, Far too many miscarriages to mention, but that was irrelevant. No one ever would know what that felt like, and I was completely alone. But you're so not. And if that's one thing that we can we can tell you from this podcast is that you're so not. And if you are right now in that place, we are here, and there is always someone to talk to you. And as Belinda says, that kindness compassion and ear is here at Cradle and I hope you get that and I hope that comes across and I hope that if you have had one of our comfort bags that in any of the hospitals or at Belinda's hospitals that you've read that dear friend letter and you you get it you're not alone we do get it and what you are thinking and feeling right now is totally normal. I talked a lot at the beginning, Belinda, about Justin Bieber, and it would be completely unfair of me not to bring him back into the room right now. I mean, he's not here. I cannot physically bring him in the room. Or can That's I? That's giving me false hope, Kay. <laughs> <laughs> or can I? This is your... No, I can't. I don't think Justin Bieber's ever been to Marple. If you are listening, though, Justin, you're very welcome, of course. Um... What on earth? What are you doing hanging out with Bieber? What's going on? What Enlighten me. And it's not just Justin Bieber either. There's a very, very famous pop star whom I'm incredibly jealous of. Belinda, it's over to you. So Bieber, is it is it Rag and Bone Man that you I thought you were going to be alluding song. to? Pink. I thought you were going to come out and sing that song then. No, no. I think there are biggest fans of the chess. Our number one fan, Bieber, is. So... Having done some extensive research into this, Belinda, I can tell you that Justin Bieber was a little bit annoyed back in 2015 when the NHS did steal that number one top title from him. And that is why he wanted to join forces because he couldn't have it by himself and he knew he'd get another number one with you. What was it like? So you were part of the of the choir, the NHS choir, and you performed not necessarily with him. Were you in the studios? Oh, so close. I know, I know, so close yet so far. Yeah. But 
when we recorded at Abbey Road Studios, so we recorded Holy, that was that was incredible. It was jaw dropping actually to be in the presence of so many famous people on the wall of fame, oh knowing God. that they've sung there and that we had the privilege to sing there as well. There's just been so many great opportunities I think that we've had as a choir again it comes back to just feeling so privileged and I and I love singing and I'm a singing nurse and the two together is my happy place in life you are a singing nurse your resting face is of a happy (laughs) smile I love that so you sang that song that went to chart that went to number one in 2020 holy Uh, that was yes it did yeah it did yeah, so then absolutely. the choir has gone yeah. on to sing, to perform with Rag and Bone Man and Pink. Rag and Bone Man and Pink. Pink on the screen, because unfortunately she couldn't travel from America. That was a bit devastating. But Rag and Bone Man, yeah, he was awesome. Huge fan. He took the time after we sung on stage with him to come and have pictures with all of us. Oh my and God. And talk to us. He is incredible. How many of you were in the choir? Any one time there's a good sort of 35 36 of us are they all from your trust or are they all over yeah so they're all from the trust yeah but all different walks of life which is lovely and that's what makes it such an amazing choir because we're all from different backgrounds they wouldn't necessarily cross over on a day-to-day so it's really lovely and I've been part of the choir now for oh good nine years and for you given that those two are quite huge would you say there is any other highlights in this choir career of yours? For me, it was a real privilege to sing at Windsor Castle for the Queen at Christmas last year. It was incredible. You cannot see. And she was actually can. in residence at the time, although also it's still COVID restricted. But how it amazing was just is incredible. that? Though? Amazing. How close were you to her? Very. Mate, what did you sing? So we we sang a hymn in a huge hall. It was just yeah, the place was just incredible. And I and I believe it was the same hall, I think it's George's Hall, where William and Kate got married. Unbelievable. That's epic. That's huge. Oh. Did you meet the Queen? I mean obviously. No, she so she was she was COVID protected. So she oh. was not far away from us, but she was in another part of the castle at the time. Right. Yeah. That's incredible. Mate, you are an all round good egg. And you can sing on the ward, people are hoping for. Do you, do you actually sing as you? Oh, we love, we love singing. So those are the best things that I love doing, actually. We've done all the big things, but singing like the Christmas carols in the hospital and in the neonatal unit, we, oh, we travel God. all over the hospital. And I, and I love doing that. That's my most favourite time of the year when we all come together and do that. Oh, I literally could cry just thinking about what that sounds like. That is so beautiful. Oh, Belinda, I imagine there are probably many listeners who have had the care of Belinda, who right now is nodding, saying, yes, yes. She is the smiling, singing happiness, no matter what the news. I wish you'd been mine. I'm grateful that you are there. I'm so incredibly grateful that you are part of the Cradle family. And I hope that Belinda gets cared for along the way as well. For now, that'll have to be done in a virtual cradle hug. But we're with you one step of the way with our comfort bags. 
and you at the helm. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Kay. You are so welcome. Anytime. Much love. That's Belinda Champion, Cradle's advanced clinical practitioner, singing the singing sensation on the wards. An honour to speak to her. A real treat if you ever get to meet her. And if you are listening and and you have, please do let me know because I would love, love to send those messages on. That's it for this week's episode of Cradle the Podcast. So whatever you're up to, wherever you are, I wish you a peaceful rest of your day. Much love. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Cradle the Podcast. If you do get a second, if you could rate and review us and share the episode with as many people as you can so that we keep the conversation going. You are not alone.